Good morning. Um, if you need a handout for today, there's some up here. And if you need a seat, there's some right here. So, all right. We're uh, continuing our study in spiritual disciplines this morning, class number 5 of 13. And um, so we want to think about what the Bible has to say about prayer because we have a responsibility not only for Bible intake, uh, but also for talking to God. So that's the not just the listening to God, but also the speaking to God. It's, it's a relationship that we have with Christ. It's a relationship that we have with God, and so it ought to be a communicating relationship. It ought to be a communing relationship, and so that ought to include prayer. Prayer, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, offers, is an offering up of our desire unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. That's uh, the little quotation you have there on your handout. It's an act that we do. It's it's also an attitude. It's a dependency that we have upon God. And so we want to think about prayer, why it's important, how it's learned. Um, We want to look at a couple model prayers in the Scripture and, and learn from them. And then also we want to think about how we need to be encouraged in this way to continue to grow in, in our prayer, uh, in our prayers to God. Let's begin with the word of prayer and ask God's help as, as we start. Father, we're thankful that you are the God who hears and you long to hear from your people. You uh, request and even demand of us that we speak to you. And so we're grateful for that uh, relationship that we can have and that that uh, even when all the world uh, seems to be busy and, and even sometimes uh, people in our own family or uh, when we feel like we're alone, Lord, we are grateful that we can always come to You. You're ready to listen and You're ready to respond. And You are a good Father who gives Your children good gifts. And so we pray that You'd help us to come to You often and make it a regular part of our life to be dependently speaking to you in prayer. Help us to learn more carefully uh, about this area, this discipline that we need to uh, learn and grow in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, First thing that we need to think about is that prayer is expected. Prayer is expected. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, remember the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and we're going to look at that prayer here in a little while. But but the point is that Jesus expected His disciples to pray. Colossians 4.2 says that we should devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And in the context, Paul is urging believers to live in union with, with one another in Christ. That, that because we have been raised with Christ, we are to seek the things which are above, not the things that are on the earth, and to put to death what is earthly and sinful. And in that context, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. So in the way that we focus on eternal things, the way that we put away sinful things, one of the ways is through the uh the speaking to God in prayer. And um so this is part of our relationship. How how are to be how are we to be faithful in living the Christian life the way Paul urges us to? How are we supposed to have the word of God dwell in us richly? Well, Paul says devote yourselves to 
prayer. It's a, an expression of dependence upon God. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'm sorry, 16. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Let someone read verses 16 through 18. All right, so be joyful, Paul says. Pray continually without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. And the reason we should do this, look at the end of verse 18. Why should we do this? It's God's will. You want to know God's will for your life? It is for you to pray. It is to rejoice in everything. See, prayer is not optional for Christians. It's God's will. It's God's desire for you, demand of you, that you continually pray. God expects us to pray, pray just like um, a general expects to hear from his soldiers in battle. He doesn't expect the radio to go silent. He expects them to continue to talk to him. It, and prayer is in a sense, our tactical radio for spiritual warfare. Where we're speaking to our commander, it's not an intercom to order room service, right? It's a radio to to um, to to continually be dependent upon our leader. It's not a divine summons, but a royal invitation. It's it's a great privilege that we ought to recognize and and um, take advantage of. Imagine if Bill Gates offered to fix your computer every time it crashed. That would be a great privilege, and you would be foolish not to take him up on that offer. You know, or or if Warren Buffett offered to give you financing, you know, tips on how to handle your money, you'd be foolish not to to go to him. And we have the all-powerful God, who who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, who has called us to talk to him, and to bring our requests before Him. And we would be foolish to to ignore that that demand. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Christ has given us access to God by His payment of His blood and our sins which before had cut us off from a relationship with God have now been covered through the blood of Jesus. Look at chapter 3, verse... Would someone read verses 11 and 12? And then verse 14, Paul goes on to say that he bows his knee in prayer because of the redemption and reconciliation that Christ has accomplished. So, do we realize this awesome privilege that we have to approach God through Christ with freedom and with confidence? And do we take advantage of this privilege? Do we make use of it or are we... um, or are we ignoring it and wasting this great privilege that we have? Prayer is expected in the Scriptures. Jesus commands us to pray. Paul commands us to pray. Uh, he commands us in a couple of different places, but we looked at First Thessalonians there. 
pray without ceasing. second thing we need to see is that prayer is learned. Prayer is learned. In one sense, prayer should be as natural as breathing. Have you ever heard prayer um, likened to breathing? That it ought to be just a conversation that we're constantly having with God and for us to go without prayer would be like a person going without breathing. Uh, And so in one sense, that's the way prayer ought to be. But at the same time, we should be growing in our ability to pray. That through teaching and practice, we get better at praying. We learn to be more biblical in prayer. And this is what the disciples were asking. I think this is a good request of them. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to be better at what we already are doing. So how, how is prayer learned? Three ways. Number one, prayer is learned by praying. Prayer is learned by praying. Like any discipline, whether it be a foreign language or learning a musical instrument, you can take all sorts of courses and study all kinds of texts on these different uh, disciplines, but you won't learn anything until you actually practice it, right? No one's going to be good at the, pa- the, the piano just from reading books. You have to actually practice it, and the same thing is true about pray about praying. Don't wait until you're an expert in praying to pray. Okay, so I need to learn more from the Scriptures about what the Bible has to say about praying before I can pray well. That would be as foolish as telling our children, don't talk to me or ask me requests until you have developed your mind and you know how to ask properly and all these things. No, we just we get in the mindset or we, we get our help our kids get in the mindset of just talking to us. And they learn as they go that, you know, you shouldn't be asking your parents that kind of thing. You know, you shouldn't be talking in that way. You should be thankful for what you have and so on. We do the same thing with we, when we pray. We grow in how we talk to God, and that's a good thing. So we should pray, and um, we, we should learn to pray from praying. The Puritans used to, um, to say that, that, that they would work to pray until they prayed. What do they mean by that? Well, they meant to pray long enough and honestly enough in a single session to be able to get past the feeling of formalism and and unreality. So, I'm sure you've been there. If you have made prayer a discipline of your life, that there are times when it feels like the words don't have a lot of substance to them. They don't have a lot of meaning because just kind of at the formalism part. And and so what the Puritans would do is that they would be disciplined enough to just keep on praying until they actually um, got to the place where it was real, where their hearts were warmed and their minds were were uh, more active to what they were doing. And so that's what prayer requires. It require, requires practice. It requires uh, perseverance, really, even in each individual prayer that we keep praying until we pray. So prayer is learned by praying. Secondly, prayer is learned by praying with others. By praying with others. We should be able to learn how to pray by listening to godly examples of prayers from others. We can study what they pray about. What do these godly men and women pray about? How? Do, what kind of... What sense of urgency do they have in their prayer? Is there a passion? Is there a desire for God in their prayer? And that doesn't mean that we you know, just mimic their style and, and copy every single one of their words, but 
try to think very carefully about how to pray. And, uh, and so there are several practical ways that we can do this. First, we can develop a prayer partner relationship um, where we can start praying with other people. You know, just getting together one-on-one. Some of you do that when you come to church on Wednesday night. You tend to pray with the same people. That's not a bad thing. That's good to be praying with other believers. And you should be learning from their prayers and hopefully they're learning something from yours. Secondly, you should choose good models of prayer. How can we identify good models of prayer? Well, it should be prayers that are serious in nature and that are passionate and urgent. And they should also use arguments from Scripture. Have you ever heard someone pray? Maybe every time you hear this person pray, it feels like this person is taking you into the very throne room of God as if he he or she is able to, to use biblical arguments to be able to speak to God in a way that God wants to be heard. Learn from those kind of people and, and find out what, it, what makes their prayers work, so to speak. Okay, not, that, not that other prayers don't work again, but, but we need to be growing in our praying. I can think of several um, men that I've heard pray in a public setting that I've learned from just because I, I had that same sense. Like, I have never had the experience like that where that or where a person brings me so close to the throne room of God with their prayers. And that when you when you have that sense of when someone's praying like that, then learn from that prayer and and see what you can do to improve your own prayer so that it is God honoring a, a mix of humility and boldness. Um a a desire to see God honored and and a desire to see God work. Where can we find such models of prayer? Well, the most obvious place is in the Bible. I don't have that on your... I should I should have written that one down there for you. But the Bible is really the best place to look for models of prayers where you read through some of these prayers by Daniel or by David or Solomon even and Paul and, and Jesus and you, you sense that they're actually communing with God. Learn from those prayers. You can also learn from the prayers, the public prayers in our church. Christian leaders in this church who pray well, learn from them. Another uh, place to learn from is good books, books like The the Valley of Vision. Or uh, my favorite book on prayer is this one. It's a little bit of a heavy book um, in terms of its content. But if you can work through this just in small sections, you will benefit a ton in your praying. This is a book by Dr. Carson on uh, a call to spiritual reformation. And it's very simple. He just goes through the, the prayers of Paul in the New Testament. And he breaks them down and says, what kind of things are in Paul's prayers? Why is he praying for these things? I have uh, two copies of this in my library. You're welcome to borrow one if you'd like to. Um, so lots of great books. You can learn from Christian, bi- Christian biographies. You ever notice in biographies that there are there are just written prayers in there by some of these men and women, these great men and women of faith. So lots of places we can learn um, a, a positive model for praying. So prayer is learned by praying. Prayer is learned by listening to others, and then or by praying with others, and then finally prayer is learned by meditating on Scripture. 
meditating on Scripture. Scripture ought to be the fuel for your prayer. Not only in your desire to pray, but it ought to fuel the content of your prayer. And this is why I, I, I had the sense that I was in the throne room of God when some of these men prayed like this, is because they used biblical passages and biblical arguments to, to speak to God. It wasn't just like, thank you for this day, bless everybody, and Jesus' name, amen, type thing. You know, the, the, the kind of the, um, the canned prayers that just get recited over and over again that don't have a lot of thought put behind them. The, the sense that I get when, when people really pray and really are speaking with God is that they're using the Scriptures to, to, um, to speak to God. They're speaking God's thoughts back to Him. And the, so the Word ought to be the fuel behind our prayer that, that drives the engine of our prayer. Um, this is from one of the Puritans, Thomas Manton. He says, it's on your handout there, meditation is a middle sort of duty between the Word and prayer. The Word feeds meditation and meditation feeds prayer. These duties must always go hand in hand. Meditation must follow hearing and proceeding and precede prayer. To hear... And not to meditate is unfruitful. It is rashness to pray and not to meditate. What we take in by the Word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. These three duties must be ordered that one may not jostle out the other. I forget if it was... I think it was George Mueller, who's a great man of faith and a great prayer. And he, he had for years, he said, he would pray before he read the Scriptures. But then he said, kind of like a light bulb turned on for him, that he finally figured out that he needed to read the Scriptures first and have that be the driving fuel for his his prayer. That when he would read the Scriptures and meditate on what he was thinking, that that would be the content now of his prayers. Have you ever done this before? That as you're reading the Scriptures, something really struck struck you about God's grace or God's character, about your sin... And that led you immediately into prayer. And that's what the Scriptures ought to do. We hear God speak and it causes us to respond. We do this at the end of every service. When the Word is preached, um, it, it leads into a prayer that is based on what we had just heard in the Scriptures. And it's just a natural way for us to, to go back to God and, and to speak to Him. Um, and, and you would do well in your time of regular prayer to to spend time in the Word prior to that. Now, obviously, prayer ought to be a regular thing. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. And so, um, certainly, you're not going to be able to open the Bible every time right before you pray. You ought to be praying just as you go. But certainly, the Scripture should be filling your minds throughout the day and at least to be meditating on some of these things. And those things should cause you to lead, to, to lead right into your prayer. All right? So, Prayer is expected and prayer is learned. Any questions before we move to the content? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. And as we're turning, if you have a comment or a question, you're welcome to do that now. Matthew 6. Look at what's often known as the Lord's Prayer, but actually uh, maybe a better title for it would be the, the Disciples' Prayer. Because... It, the Lord is actually teaching the disciples how to pray. We want to think about this um, 
just kind of line by line think about uh, how the Lord taught us to pray. All right, let's read this passage first, and then we'll um, we'll look at it. Verse nine. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let's look at that first line that starts the prayer and it is, Our Father in heaven. We address our prayers to God as our Heavenly Father. This ought to remind us that we have a privileged position because of what Christ has done for us. That Christ has adopted us as His children. Once we were strangers and enemies, and God has invited us into His household. And so we can call God our Father. And that means that we can have boldness just like a the child of a president would be able to go and approach his or her father and be able to ask of him anything that that they wanted. So we can do the same thing with our king, our father, who is the king. It says, our father who is in heaven. We have open access to God and it should not be taken lightly. The God whom we approach is in heaven. So while he is our father, we need to recognize at the same time that He is transcendent. He is the Creator. He is high and lifted up. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. And He is great and glorious. And so when we come into His presence, we come with humility and awe and respect and reverence. Not, not, a, um, not a, an improper or, um, or a, an unloving or unthoughtful way to pray, but a, but a humble and awe-filled... Um, one second here. You can come in if you'd like. Do you want to come in? Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Here, I can take these for you. Okay. Okay, no problem. Okay, I'll get calm there if you don't. That goes in the fridge. No problem. Yep. All right, so the next line is, Hallowed be your name. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. God's name is a reflection of who He is, and so He ought to be revered and spoken of as holy. And so when we speak about God's name, we ought to speak about Him in a glorified and exalted way. And when we pray this way, we're asking our Heavenly Father to act in such a way that that He will reverence Himself. Holy is Your name. Um, And so this should kind of set the tone for our prayers, that when we come, we're not being flippant in our requests that are going to follow, but we recognize, God, that You are the holy God and we honor You as such. And then the next one is Your kingdom come. So we ought to pray for the coming of the kingdom. 
I don't think I, I saw this any more clearly than in our study of Revelation. As John is reflecting on the, the end times events, his prayer is even so, Come, Lord Jesus. And in one sense, we're saddened by that because we recognize that in the coming of the Lord Jesus, there is judgment. But we also recognize that there is justice. There's justice for us who have suffered for the sake of Christ's name. And so that's a good thing, to pray for the kingdom to come, that Christ would rule on the earth in a way that would be consistent with His His power and authority. And we look forward to that day, and we ought to pray for that. Next line is, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so, think about this with me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will carried out in heaven? Is it ever disobeyed in heaven? Do people not fully obey Him or or finally obey Him? Do, do people reject His will in heaven? And so this is what we need to pray that takes place on the earth. And I think this goes back with the last statement, Your kingdom come. The, the time in which the... God's will on earth will be done as it is in heaven is when the kingdom comes, when Christ rules, and when He does it eternally. And there will be a pure, uh, there will be a pure following of our Savior. So, what does it mean when we say, Your will be done on earth? What are we, what are we committing ourselves? Well, I think we're committing ourselves to at least two things. First, we're committing ourselves to learning what we can, right? We can't pray that we'll do God's will if we don't know God's will. One of the things we know that we're supposed to do is we looked at it earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5, is what? Rejoice always and pray without ceasing for this is the, and, and give thanks, right? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So we can't know what God desires of us, what His will is. We'd be foolish to pray that way. Um, unless we're at least seeking it. And so it it ought to reflect the idea that we're, we're still learning His will. And it also, also ought to be a, a pledge of what we intend to do. Not just, Your will be done, God. But, but I, I actually intend to do Your will. So help me to do Your will. Do you notice how the opening part of the prayer all centers on God? Our Father, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. They focus on God. And, and so we pray in this manner, reflecting on God. Sometimes it's, it's easy or maybe uh, simplistic. We are simplistic in our prayers when we just go right to the request part. And I think that's appropriate at times, but, but certainly that should not be the way we approach God in general. In general, we ought to... Praise Him for who He is. Acknowledge who He is, right? Hallowed is Your name. Holy is Your name. Thank Him for what He's done. Pray for His will to be done before we get to, you know, kind of our laundry list of of requests. And certainly we don't want to skip our requests because God commands us to do that. But but it's impossible to pray these petitions that we should have without humbly committing ourselves to God. All right. Uh, a couple more things here, but do you have any questions or comments? Paul, you want to give her a hand?
Okay, next is give us this day our daily bread. Um, Learn to know His will and then pledge to do His will. Alright, so next is give us this day our daily bread. This, This petition reminds us of our constant daily dependence on God. And and I think this is kind of lost in our um, in our somewhat affluent society in which we have little need. When our greatest concern is, you know, not not usually money. Maybe it's paying some luxury bill of something that we don't necessarily need. But but what God calls us to do is to pray that we have our needs, that we have enough. What I want you to notice here is that it's not a prayer for individual needs. It doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread, right? It's a, it's a corporate prayer. Now, we sh- certainly ought to do that um, uh, on our own, but, but I think the point of this is that you'll see throughout the rest of this verse, it's, it's all pointed at a corporate body. It's, it's, it's that we are not saved... To be to be on our own, we're saved to be part of a, a, a believing community, and um, so you'll you'll see that throughout the section. That's the way we ought to pray. We ought to pray for the necessities of our church body as a whole. So when we think about our church body, what kind of what would be the daily bread for our church body? Obviously, it would be enough to be able to have enough money to be able to keep the doors open, but but certainly more than that. Um, and and I think we ought to be praying in those terms, not just assuming that it's going to happen, kind of like we are in, sometimes in our own families, that, you know, we got plenty of money in the bank account or, you know, we got enough money to get to the next paycheck, and so we just kind of assume it's always going to be there. And we'd be foolish to just uh, not pray about those things. We ought to be regularly praying that God would supply our needs. It shows our dependence on Him, and it also shows who really is the source of that income. So no matter how much money you have, you're you're acknowledging that God is the one who's providing because you're asking Him to provide for your daily needs. You recognize that at any time, that can be taken away. I was reminded of this uh, just recently with the circumstance of a family, a believing family, just had their their world turned upside down. I don't have time to go through all the details, but but I was struck at how, how... someone could go from just a normal family life to everything being gone pretty much and it wasn't on any uh wrongdoing on their own part it was just the nature of life and and living in a fallen world and so you know for us to just assume that we're always going to have what we currently have is is uh independent of us it's actually denying god's uh, gift, gifts to us. And so we ought to pray for God to provide for us. Next, verse 13, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts. There's, there is certainly a responsibility for us to ask God to forgive us of our sins when we pray individually. But did you notice this is corporate? That there ought to be a public confession of prayer uh, of of uh, sin, in some way. That is, when we pray as a church, we ought to publicly um, ask God to forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. 
It reminds us that that we are not deserving to be in God's presence, but God lovingly grants us access just because of His grace, and and for us to um, to ask for forgiveness is a good thing. All right, finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is the one who can protect us from temptation. God is the one who provides the way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10.13. And so we ought to pray in that way. God, we don't want to harm the relationship that we have with you. And so would you, would you guard us from the temptation? Would you deliver us from evil? And, and use believers here in this church to help you in that way. When you have a specific temptation that you know about, and um, you know, enlist other believers to pray with you. Uh, if you're, you know, obviously, if you have a close enough relationship with them where you can be specific. If not, just say, "Pray for me this week." You know, I, I've got some things that I need to to be guard. I need to guard against some of these things. And, and would you pray for me? We ought to be praying for one another, even if we don't know the specifics of their sins, and praying that that God would deliver all of us from evil because there is great damage done to the work of God and to the name of Christ when we fall into sin and we continue in sin. All right, any questions on the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer there? Do you have one, Greg? Yeah, that's a good question. Um you know, Catholic churches have made it a practice to say it, and I don't know how often they say it. Anybody have any idea? Is it just at the services, or they? Yeah. Yeah. And the Our Fathers is this prayer? Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, so you're you're saying it as you're going through the beads. Okay. Yeah, so for I, I actually, um, I don't have a problem with a believer praying this prayer specifically as long as they know that there's nothing magical about the words in this prayer. So I, the way that I like to think about it is what's the content of the prayer and then I want to develop my own prayers from the content of this. So I'm addressing God, our Father in heaven. I'm magnifying for Him for His works. So hallowed be Your name. So I might say, You are the Creator of all things. And then, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, send Jesus quickly. You know, so it doesn't have to be all... You don't have to do this in every single prayer that you pray. And um, and, and certainly pray these word for word. You don't have to do that. But... But if you wanted to pray the, the, this prayer, it's not a bad thing. I just think that what what happened and what what has happened in the Catholic Church is it's turned into a vain repetition, right? So it's just just a continually quoting of the same thing. They think that there's some sort of grace that's being dispensed to them just because they're saying the words when their hearts are far from God in general, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So it's not like just putting your token of our Father into the 
into the vending machine and out comes all my blessings. Um, it's actually communing with God. It would be similar to, you know, to a person using the same poem, maybe a really nice poem, just saying the same poem to his wife every day. You know, is, is, is his wife really going to love that? I mean, occasionally if he quotes a poem, that might be beneficial and she might like that. But but uh, there, should, there ought to be some heart behind it and there ought to be a little bit of creativity that's directed by the Scriptures. Jared? Yeah, that's a good idea. I see what you're saying. Right. Right. So based on the model that Jesus gave, here's the basic elements, our Father in Heaven. Now I'm going to expand on that. Hallowed be your name. Expand on that. Yeah, very good. All right, well, there's a couple more passages I want to look at. Um, but... Unfortunately, we don't have time, so I'm going to skip over those. You have those in in the Scriptures, and I, and I listed several points on there. And also, again, I, I'll just point you back to this book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation by Don Carson, and he goes through these as well. All right, so let's think about encouragements for prayer. First of all, God answers prayer. David refers to God as the one who hears prayer in, in Psalm 65 too. So God answers prayer. He he wants us to pray to Him, um, and so we ought to be persistent in our prayer, like the the widow and the unjust judge. Anybody know that story? How does that go? Help me out. Right, so if you want to read through that that little parable, Luke 18. It's on your handout there, the last one under God Answers Prayer. Luke 18, 1-7. That's that's exactly what happens. The point is, if an unjust judge would be willing to listen to a woman who is persistent with him, how much more would your Heavenly Father, your Father who is in Heaven, love to respond to you when you ask Him? So be persistent in your prayer because God isn't is a God who answers prayer. Number two, God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely sovereign. Daniel nine. Daniel recognizes this. Um, it says in the first year, verse two of his reign, I Daniel observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to the, Jeremiah the prophet for completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. So here's Daniel. He says, I know that according to God's Word, this was going to happen. And then notice what he does in verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayers and supplication. But Daniel, God is already sovereign. Why would you pray to a sovereign God? Okay, and this is, the, this is kind of that, the perplexity that is in the Scriptures that from the beginning of all the way till the end, God's sovereignty is clearly over all the universe, over every speck of the universe. Nothing is left to luck or pure chance. And yet, we still pray to Him because somehow God uses our prayers to accomplish what He has sovereignly ordained. 
And so even though God is sovereign, we ought to pray. Daniel recognized that. You would do well to study that. Daniel 9, 2 and 3. All right, some practical helps for prayer quickly. If you don't plan to pray, you're probably not going to pray. So make it a habit to pray. Plan to pray. Cultivate that habit. Remember, we can grow in our prayer, so in our ability to pray. So set aside time to pray. Um, you use the time that you that you have throughout the day. You know, you're you're sitting in the car, you're waiting at a red light. You know, you're waiting in a grocery uh, a line at the grocery store. Um, use that time to to speak to God. Secondly, find ways to maintain concentration. Okay, I don't know about you, but if you get into, I know for me that when I get into a regular habit of praying of doing it at a certain time every day in the morning that that is very difficult to keep my concentration. And so I have tried various ways to to um to keep that concentration. One is to to pray out loud. I mentioned last week, I think it was that that it's good to write down your prayers. Like you would write a letter to a loved one, write down your prayers. That's that's a good habit, you know, we talked about journaling last week. Um Another way to maintain concentration is kind of what similar to what Jared was saying with the Lord's Prayer. Pray through Scripture. What is this? You know, just find a find a prayer in the Scripture, one of Paul's prayers. What is he praying about? And now use those as prayer requests for the people that you love, people in this church, people in your family. What what is Paul praying for? And then use those same requests to pray for. And I've found myself doing that same thing for when I pray for you as well. Pray that this person, I'll name you by name, that you would be filled with the knowledge and love for God or that you would know Christ's love for you today and that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will. And and you can find what believers in the Scriptures have prayed for as you're reading through the Scriptures. So as you see those prayers, use those and maybe even add those to your prayer list. For your, for when you pray for other believers, and that's a great way to think God's thoughts after Him. Then finally, develop a system for prayer. I'd recommend that you pray through the membership directory. I I mention this often, but we have that there for a reason. It's not just so that you can have their addresses and phone numbers, but I think it's primarily so that we can be praying for one another. We know who the members of our church are and we're praying for them because we have a specific responsibility for them. Pray for them by name. Maybe go through one or two pages a day and you'll be able to get through the directory in a week. And that would be a great way for you to be encouraging one another and finding out more about what what's going on with them. You know, uh, if you haven't seen them in a while, just send them a note and say, listen, I've been praying for you, but I'd like to know how to pray for you more specifically. Is there, is there anything I can pray about? Another thing you can do is pray through this. Oh, this was a great book until I bent it. Um, this is Operation World. I just got this as a gift recently. And it's um, it takes you through every single country in the in the world. And it tells you basic demographics and religious facts about those countries and gives you some things about which you can pray. It tells you kind of the uh, how few Protestants there are in many countries, some of the big challenges um, that that are that are facing these countries, and uh, we're actually going to use this 
at our next missions meeting when we look at the the country, the Ivory Coast, and um, I'm going to be praying for some of those things together. So pray through the membership directory. Maybe pray for some various countries around the world. Certainly be praying for our missionaries, which are also in the membership directory. Make a list of specific things. You know, uh, Don Carson says all of us would be wiser if we would resolve never to put people down except for on our prayer list. Okay, kind of silly, but but it's it should be should be the way that we're, you know, like my pastor used to say, um, bad news up, good news down. You know, the, the things that are troubling you in life, talk to God about them instead of telling everybody else about them. Um, so so you can um, systematize your prayer in those ways. All right, a lot to digest this morning, but but um, I think prayer is one of the fundamental spiritual disciplines. It seems like our life as Christians always come back to the main two responsibilities that we have, which is communing with God in prayer and listening to Him speak. And uh, and so it's it's amazing how it, it seems to always come back to that. We need to get better at that. So let's work to do that. Any questions or comments? Jennifer? Right. Yeah. Right. The vanity comes when the heart is disconnected from the, you know, when the they honor God with their lips when their hearts are far from Him. Greg? Yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head, a book on the the Psalms. Um, but let me put some thoughts to that. Yeah, anybody think of any off the top of their head? Oh, okay. What is it about? Goes through the Psalms. So, yeah, I haven't read that one, but that could be could be good. Sounds good. Spurgeon's usually good, right? All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for um, teaching us this morning, reminding us about what we already know in many cases. Lord, help us to pray more faithfully to you. You are the God who hears and you love to hear your people pray. And we want to, to pray according to your desire. So help us. Lord, we want to be um, known not for events that we have at our church or um, or uh, or any great things that we had have done except for our relationship with you. So, Lord, help us to have uh, a mindset that, that seeks you and and um, desires to speak to you. And Lord, we're thankful for the faithful people here in this church who have committed themselves to praying, both privately and in public as we meet together as a church. And we pray that you'd help us to be uh, even more faithful in that area as we learn from one another and how we can pray better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.